All right. I'm going to try not to. I've got it recording. I think we've got enough batteries. Try not to mess it up like we did last time. So, um, so just a quick. So today we're going to talk uh, a little bit about the via media we talked about last time, the middle way, um, and we'll review a little bit. But then we'll, we'll end up talking about this thing here, which is a version of something called the compass rose. I didn't draw it very. Doesn't look very pretty, uh, but it is a. Uh, I'll explain it here in a second. Um, but it, it's kind of a way of describing the landscape of Anglicanism. Kind of, there's an interesting, I mean, it's, it's kind of a wide open playing field in one sense. There are some boundaries to it, but uh, part of the reason I like it is that there's no super distinct doctrines necessarily. Uh, it's more of an expression of mere Christianity, just being a Christian, and then there's all kinds of ways to navigate that within this. And so, so we'll talk about that a little bit. Um, but, um, I wanted to review quickly. You can actually still see it on the whiteboard because uh, it doesn't erase very well. Um, but review uh, just a little bit of what we talked about last time. Just see if there's any, any comments or questions about some of that stuff. So we talked about being rooted and contextual. right? So being rooted in historic faith, something that's been handed to us, something we didn't make up, something that we don't get to make up, something that we don't, you know, what are we going to do today in church? We don't sort of just think up anything, right? We've been given something to do. We've been given something to believe, right? So that's the rooted part of it. But then there's also the contextual part of it, which is a, a long, there's a long history in Anglicanism of contextualization, which means that this faith that we've received has to grow up in the soil where we live, and it has to be made sensible for our life here today. And so there's a tension there that we live in, but root being rooted in the one holy apostolic Catholic church, like we talked about. We talked about what those things mean. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, but then also rooted in the local soil, rooted in what's happening here, what's God doing now, and how do we respond to that in a way that's rooted in contextual. Okay, so that's rooted in contextual. Um, and this goes back again to all the way to the Celtic church. The Celtic church has a long history of uh, contextualized faith and pr practice of their faith uh, that was distinct from what was practiced in Rome and the rest of Europe. And so partly probably because of the water uh, that separated uh, England, the British Isles, from the mainland, but uh, that, that actually allowed for an interesting uh, expression of Christianity to grow up there that was a little bit more contextualized uh, for the Celtic barbarians uh, who lived there uh, when faith came there. Uh, the second thing was centered set versus bounded set, which is kind of a sociological construct, but essentially, um, essentially a bounded set means here are the boundaries, and the most important question is whether you're in or out. Here's the boundaries, are you in or are you out? With a centered set, the more important question, the boundary is a little fuzzier, but there's a strong center, and the more important question is, which direction are you moving? Are you moving toward the center or away from the center? So your orientation and your movement is more important, the more important question. So does that make sense? So ultimately that's uh, how we're wanting to define our faith, and I think at its best, Anglicanism does that, where it's more of a centered set rooted in you know, the creeds, the early councils, apostolic ministry, these things, but like, the way that we express those things uh, can, be, can be various, right? So there's a, there's a sense in which we want to be more of a centered set, and we see Jesus doing this, right? The Pharisees, a lot of times, were concerned about the boundaries, who's in and who's out, are you observing the <coughs> Sabbath correctly? Um, you know, Matt preached about this last week, about observing the Sabbath, and the, the most important question was, are you doing the correct thing on the Sabbath so that you can be part of the people of God? 
But for Jesus, it was way more important for them to, for him to say, like, hey, your orientation is all wrong. I'm here as God's, you know, sent one, and you're rejecting me. You want to kill me, right? Your orientation is off, even though maybe you fit into some boundaries that you've created. But that's the danger of a bounded set. So he, he called people into that center set. The third thing, the third thing is uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. Uh, which is um, words that basically just mean the rule of faith, sorry, the rule of prayer is the rule of faith. And essentially what we talked about there was that um, Anglicanism has a, a history of instead of tightly defining what we believe and then figuring out how to practice it, and this is the early church as well, there was more of this sense of the most important thing is that we practice our faith. So let's worship the Trinity Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has been revealed to us. Let's worship the Trinity. Let's participate in divine life. And then only when necessary do we define those things more meticulously, right? So when heretics, when heresies started coming around, they, they gathered as councils and said, all right, we've got to deal with this. You know, this person's saying this. That doesn't sound right. Is that right? No, I don't think that's right. And they discussed it. They discerned it together. And they said, no, that's not right. This is right. Like, you know, so the Trinity... And it ends up getting defined, you know, in a, in a certain way. But they didn't come up with that and then practice it. They were practicing participation in divine life. And then they came up with the rule of belief. Does that make sense? So the rule of faith and prayer. So this is a life of prayer that we're called into, a life of worship that then leads to, okay, these are, I guess, these appear to be the things we believe, right? Which then leads into a way of life that we live out together. Okay? But it's all rooted in the fountainhead of it all is worship, is the life of the church, in, in, uh, specifically in worship and prayer. Okay? Great. Any questions, observations, comments about that first session? Thumbs up? We got a thumbs up from Spencer? All right. Good stuff. All right. Great. All right. Well, let's talk uh, this week about the Compass Rose. Um, this, uh, it was a logo that was introduced in the 50s, I think, for the Anglican Communion. Um, but um, uh, somebody added these words to it that kind of make an interesting, um, uh, an interesting, uh, I guess, way of visualizing what we're talking about when we say the via media. So we talked a little bit about this last time, but, but Anglicans uh, are associated with this thing called the via media, which just means the, the middle way, the way, of, the way of the middle. And in a lot of ways, um, Anglicanism charted a path during the Reformation that was a middle way between... Roman Catholicism on the one hand, and the rest of the Protestant Reformation on the other. Okay, so Roman Catholicism, and this is a this is oversimplification, but Roman Catholicism had sort of added things in the Anglican view, added things to the faith that were like required for salvation, like um, you know the Bishop of Rome has jurisdiction over the whole church, which is that was a that was an addition, that was an innovation. It used to be that bishops all had jurisdiction over their own diocese, and they met together to discern things. There's a mutual submission sense. That's what we have in the Anglican Communion. There's a, uh, it's called conciliar uh, government. We look to try to find consensus on things. We talk, we meet, that kind of thing. Um, so anyway, so th some of those things, purgatory, you know, different things like that, that, that the Roman Catholic Church in the Anglican view had added to the faith. But then the, the, the rest of the Protestant Reformation had essentially, in reaction to that, taken too much away in the Anglican view, right? So for example, they took away uh, like the threefold order of ministry, bishop, priest, and deacon, which goes all the way back to the early church, right? So people have been ordained bishops, priests, and deacons 
all the way back to the early church, and they, they, but because of the abuses that they had encountered, they were like, forget bishops, we don't want bishops, right? And they kind of threw that off. Uh, the Anglican middle way was like, no, there are some pretty bad bishops, yes, uh, but we still need them if we're going to be attached to this one holy Catholic and apostolic faith, because this is, this is what Christ has ordained, right? So that was that discernment. The, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist is another example of this middle way where we affirm with the early church that in the Eucharist, in, in Holy Communion, Christ is present. The whole early church affirmed this. Nobody didn't affirm it. Right? If, you were, if, you were like, if you had a firm belief that it was only symbolic and nothing was really happening, and you, you know, somehow got transported back in time uh, you know, to the 400s, and were like, I want to go to a Baptist church that doesn't believe in the real presence of Christ, you wouldn't be able to find one. There was no such thing, right? This is what the church believed. Um, the Roman church had taken that into this thing called transubstantiation, which is like a philosophical way of explaining what's happening, right? That they said, okay, and this is, this is the official explanation for what's happening. Then some Protestant groups said, no, it's just symbolic. Nothing's really happening. It's just for us, right? But the Anglicans, again, formed this middle way of saying, no, we believe in the real presence. We just don't need to explain it. And actually, we get into trouble if we try. So how is Christ present in the Eucharist? We don't really know. We don't really know. That's the, that's the bottom line. We don't know how he's present, but we believe he is. And that's why we, practice, that's why we take communion every week, right? Because he's present. Why wouldn't you want to be with Jesus? You know, like, <laughs> why wouldn't you want to receive grace? Come to the table, you know? Why wouldn't you want to do that? So anyway, does that make sense? So that's via media, okay? And here's another way of kind of expressing that, the compass rose. So as you can see, there's eight different sort of directional arrows. And we'll talk about each one of these phrases and kind of what they mean. Eight different directional arrows on these four bars. So there's you know, vertical, it's horizontal, that like northeast to southwest and northwest to southeast. Um, and it expresses kind of a map of where Anglicans are. So some people are you know, way more we than me. Some people are way more there than here, and we'll talk about what all those mean. But it kind of expresses this, like, Anglicanism is basically, what's that? Yes. <laughs> if we, we'll write up that rhyme for this Dr. Seuss book. Some Anglicans are way more here than there. And way more we than we and we than do. Anyway, so um, they name tensions in faith, ways of expressing faith, that Anglicanism sort of embraces all of it and embraces the tension of them and says, we don't need to be this or that. We can be both of these things. We can live in the tension, right? Both acknowledging I have a tendency, right, to, to be a certain way, but I'm also in communion with people who have the other tendency, and that's okay. I don't need to separate from them. We can stay together, right? So there's this strong uh, instinct for unity. Um, so real quick, I want to talk about what these mean and then, like, I want to ask you guys, like, where do you see yourself on this? Or, or what does this bring up for you? So, first of all, let's go, this tension, first tension is we versus me. Not versus. We, you know, we and or me. Right? Let's say that. <laughs> all right, so, so we and me. So the me part is the even, what we'll call the evangelical instinct. We'll talk more about what we mean by this. We don't mean white Republican who voted for Trump. Okay, that's a different definition of evangelical. Um, <laughs> it's a more historic definition for it. Um, so the evangelical impulse is the me, 
my faith is about a personal relationship with Jesus, right? And then there's the Catholic instinct. And the Catholic instinct is more about we. So it's more about being raised in this way. It's about belonging to something larger than myself. Uh, it's about corporate faith, right? <laughs> We're a community. We belong to each other. We belong to the one holy apostolic Catholic church. This instinct is more like, yeah, but faith needs to be personal. I can't just come to church and that makes me a Christian. It has to be personal. I have to have, a, have to have a personal faith, right? That's the evangelical instinct. That's the Catholic instinct, okay? Both are present, right? Okay, let's go to the vertical bar. The vertical bar is here versus there, or here and there. Uh, the there instinct is what we'll call orthodox. And uh, what we mean by orthodox, orthodox just means like right belief or right uh, doctrine. Um, and it, it basically kind of talks about God is transcendent, God is holy, God is other. We've received a faith. The faith isn't just here in my heart. The faith is all across the world. And it's the same, it's very related to the Catholic instinct, right? So that's the there instinct. And the here instinct is the charismatic instinct, okay? The Anglicans are both orthodox. We're part of a faith that spans the globe and spans, you know, all of time. And we've got the, the company of saints and we're a part of this big thing, tradition. And it's charismatic, which means the Holy Spirit is active right here, right now. Who knows what's going to happen? We're paying attention. We're ready, right? God could heal at any moment, that kind of thing, okay? So orthodox versus charismatic. Um, God is here. So God is there, right? Holy, transcendent, other. God is here, intimate, with me. Uh, does that make sense? All right. So let's go to B versus do. The B instinct is contemplative, which is a being like learning to be, learning to receive God's grace, learning to trust that God is present and at work. And then there is the do instinct, which is the activist instinct, which is there's injustice in the world. We can be part of a solution to it. We can stand up for the poor, for the oppressed, for the marginalized. We can do something. We can get out there. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. There's a tension between those things. Anglicans are both. So, uh, stop and go then. This is conservative. A conservative instinct. Conserve. Uh, I lost it. Conservative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the consultant <laughs> the instinct. All right. And then this is what? What's this one going to be? The go instinct. Liberal. This is the liberal instinct. Okay? The conservative instinct says, wait, hold on. Like, let's check this out. It tends not to trust innovation. There's something older that we need to submit to. The liberal instinct is like, yeah, but we got to go somewhere. we got to innovate. We have to, right? So this is the rooted part of Anglicanism, and this is the contextualized part of Anglicanism, okay? So, where do you guys see yourselves on these bars? Like, what comes up for you as you, as you listen to this? Like, neither here nor there. Yeah. Not on this map. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. 
Yeah, so it, it, if you notice, for example, that your instinct is like, well, why? Like these, these can form binaries, right? Conservatives are always fighting liberals, right? The Catholics and the evangelicals have a long-standing feud, right? But if you've ever thought like, well, why can't I be both? I kind of feel like I am both. You might be an Anglican. You might have been an Anglican for quite a while. What's that? You just might be an Anglican. You just might be an Anglican. Or if you're both, right, yes. If you are both, we... Yes, good. Were you going to say something like that? Uh, probably similar to Andrew's. Just like, yeah, like, I think, I, like, I can see the sort of things that I've definitely raised in, which is like, the stop. Yeah. The... Yes. Uh, as a fair. Yeah. Not, I mean, that's like sort of what reason, but I feel like I've sort of like, I don't know, various things that like, you know. And, and even even that's like too binary, right? Because like yeah. in certain areas of my Christianity, yeah. it's one thing, in certain areas it's another. But like, yeah, I've always like, I always found myself like playing devil's advocate. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is just sort of like my personality. And so I feel like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He needs help. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, good. But, but partly because, like, you know, I've always been interested in, like, helping other people see, helping people see the other side of their arguments, but also, like, exploring that myself, right? Yes. Um, yeah, and so I appreciate something that can hold tensions and, like, be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, what, that's, what, that's a good explanation for it, that it's, it can hold tension. Yeah, able to kind of see two, two things that, that most of the time people want to pigeonhole you in. Have you ever, and, and that's interesting too, that you grew up a certain way. And can, does anybody else notice that? There's a movement towards something else that what you grew up with, right? Um, so I grew up in the, probably an evangelical, mostly conservative, kind of charismatic faith, right? I don't know that activist and contemplative, I don't recognize much of that. But I grew up in that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I just don't. I just don't remember ever thinking about that. Okay. But I noticed from for me as I've grown up, as I've grown, like there is this movement towards the other side um, that that I've felt like is a healthy thing. But I've never wanted to reject, you know what I mean, the other side of it and say like, oh, I'm going to join the other team. It's been more of a. I feel like more of a rounding out of like, oh, okay, there's a there's a bigger picture here of what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, Nancy. I think, um, kind of like with Isaiah, I was sort of on that spectrum and growing up, and there was this fear of crossing that line. Yeah. It was a very myopic place that, you know, if I raise my hands a little bit too much, maybe I'll, maybe I'll become Karen Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I the same thing every week, but I become Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, right. um, and then, then there was good. this sort of framing of the fear yeah. um, as I, you know, was, my eyes were open to the, the greater body of Christ and huh. sitting at a table with Anglicans and Charismatics and Lutherans and Methodists and the Baptists and you know realizing that hey we're you know we all bring something to the table yeah and this is what it is yeah that yeah. we sit at a round table yeah and it's yeah. a beautiful table and so there's 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 no fear in crossing those lines that's good um, and yeah. so I think it's a growing place like I I'm very much a doer type person and yeah. I've, um, I'm in a spiritual formation course through Moody, and the, the contemplative um, world has just been open to me. Wow. And it, you know, it's not that I don't still do, I'm very much a doer, but right. I've learned to be able to be yes. and to sit and, 
and be okay with that. It doesn't feel like I'm lazy. You know, or I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> right. Instead, I'm being very present. Yeah. That's and, good. Uh, yeah. Letting myself to, yeah. to grow in a different way. Yeah, that's so interesting. Does anybody else resonate with that? That fear mm-hmm. of yeah. crossing? Like, what will I become? or what, yeah. And what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, for me, there was a point in my, in my journey where that came out as, like, Catholics aren't Christians. Yes. Like, that, right. was a very, like, that was a very real thing. I don't know if I ever I might have. But if I didn't express it verbally, um, it's something that I felt. And that was... Uh, that was affirmed by other people that were a part of whatever community I was a part of. Yes. Um, and, and, and all the things that go along with that contemplative and <coughs> being orthodox and, uh, and even um, probably you know, being more liberal was uh, very, uh, that, that's, not, that's not what it means to be part of the Christian faith. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the feeling was probably mutual too from the Catholics. Yeah. For you, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> they're not Christians, they've left the faith, you know? But yeah, yeah, so there's, there's a sense in which there's a fear of crossing the line because those people aren't Christians. So the way I maintain my faith is by staying on this side of the line. There's this fear, right, of, ooh, that would, that would mean I'm not a Christian anymore. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, man, so like, thing that sticks out to me isn't like, oh, I grew up evangelical, uh, conservative, charismatic. What, sh- what, what strikes me is how I, because of how I'm wired, like I would always try to pull people like, into, into those ways yeah. instead of valuing and appreciating yeah. the, right. other, uh, the other directions. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, totally. So like, you know, and I would use, like, when you, you, you put language around it, you know, uh-huh. like the bounded set, like, here's, here's the boundaries. Right. And you're not operating in these boundaries. Right. Or the bounded set or whatever you call Yeah, it. yeah, totally. Like, so you, you must be wrong, so you got to get right. over here so you can be right. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is like the other side of the coin of the fear. So I have a fear of not, I don't want to go there. Yeah. But also, like, you need to come here, yes. you know, because this is what the, the real thing is. Yeah. This is what the real deal is. Yeah. Yeah, good. And then also, like, there's, in addition to, like, maybe the fear of, is this even a Christian faith? There's fear of, like, for me, well, that means, like, I'm not rejecting, but I'm not fully embracing my family culture hmm. and, like, family faith. Yeah. Which, and my parents are ministers and okay. charismatic evangelical activists. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Part of the compass. So for me, like, it's a really big deal to even try to embrace, like, the other side. Right. Because um, you feel like you're betraying or... Yeah. Or sort of, yeah. Yeah, so I actually called my mom this week, and I was, like, crying. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm so happy. Oh! That's awesome. <laughs> she was like, I think that's fine. <laughs> That's I beautiful. So I think that the, there's those fears too, you know, yeah. that, that are deeper than just like, well, I might betray my faith. It's like the other things, like family and friends yeah. and community. Which probably informs way more, like we, we attribute it to like, I don't think that's what I believe. But maybe when we dig deeper, we're like, I don't know how this would affect my relationships. 
and this is really important to me, so I, I'm not going to mess with it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really profound. That's also really beautiful that your mom said that to you. Yeah, it is. It's great. You've got, you've got good parents. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's a blessing. It's a blessing. Good. All right. Well, um, I think we're done. No. So maybe we can dive into some of these tensions and then just continue to have a discussion around some of them, okay? So what, what I mean by evangelical, for example, uh, again, is not a white Republican who voted for Trump, necessarily, just to get that out there. I mean, it's a term that's been tarnished lately, right? Where a lot of people are like, I'm not going to call myself an evangelical anymore because it's been used in this way of being like, oh, that's a political thing. It's a voting block that's you know, available to be manipulated by whoever can push the right buttons, right? But in the historic sense of the term, it comes from this Greek word euangelion, which just means good news. And so evangelicals, I mean, the, the term started being used about 500 years ago, um, but it just refers to the gospel. It refers to the, good, the announcement of the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. You guys maybe recognize this from the creed. Like, this is the gospel, basically. And he is now Lord. The, the shortest version of the gospel that I know to give people is Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. That's the announcement of, of the gospel. And so some key values for evangelicals. One is conversion. So there's, there's a sense in which um, evangelicals say, you know, it's not enough for you to just grow up in the right tradition. Like you have to, your heart has to be strangely warmed. As uh, John Wesley say that? Yeah. You know what I mean? That, does that make sense? Like that there's a personal experience of faith that's important for us. Conversion, like embracing it for yourself, you know? That's an important evangelical value. And it's an important value at the table. Um, uh, so following Jesus personally is part of Christian life. Um, engagement is another value. Um, so basically, like, practice what you preach. Be a Christian. It's not enough for you to recite the liturgy and then go home and be a mean person, you know? Like, no, this needs to be transformative for you. You need to engage in your faith. Uh, high view of scripture. Evangelicals have a very high view of scripture, they say this is the this is our this is where we get our faith from. So tradition for Anglicans, this is maybe worth saying. For Anglicans, tradition is important. Tradition is how we understand how to read scripture. Like so, we'll read the church fathers and say, how did they interpret this? And we take that seriously. Um, but scripture is definitely above tradition. Where we say this, like if tradition says it, but it's not clear in scripture, then we're not going to make a big deal out of it. Essentially. Is, is what the Anglican kind of impulse is. But there is a high view of Scripture. Scripture as the supreme source of authority for the church. Um, a fourth value for evangelicals is that they're cross-centered. Uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus is seen as the hinge point of history. Like this is the most important thing that ever happened in history. It's the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we also carry that into everyday life. And so if Jesus' whole life was going toward the cross, and his whole life was cross-shaped in the sense that he was laying down his life for those around him, then that's what it means for us to be Christians. We're, we live cruciform lives. We lay down our lives for others. That's how God's power is expressed through us. So cross-centered. And then finally, evangelism. Like There's always been a strong sense of, like we as Christians have the responsibility to proclaim good news to people. Not just sort of be a nice community that hopefully people will ask questions about, but to actually proclaim, to learn how to proclaim good news. 
Um, and that's a huge value. When we talk about the vision and practices of the table, it's a huge value for us. Uh, is learning to proclaim, we call it gospeling. It's learning to proclaim good news. Not just in our sermons, which Joel's going to preach today. Come on, Joel. College preachers. Hey. <laughs> We've been texting about this. You're aware that this is the Sunday. Right? <laughs> Anyway, uh, but not just in sermons, but like, um, like what we do in our sermons is meant to is meant to give an imagination for how we do this in our everyday lives. So I'm learning to, yeah, proclaiming good news. That's good news right there. No more tummy ache. Um, good news for mom too. Yeah. Um, does that make sense? So yeah, so those are some, those are five, five values about being evangelical. What would be the uh, counterpoint from the Catholic perspective? To some of those things? Yeah, right, like, if, if those are defined, if that's how we define evangelical against, like, the me versus the we against. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, the Catholic counterpoint, it's not a, it's not a one-to-one counterpoint, but the Catholic values are a little different, right? So, um. So, I mean, Anglicans are evangelical, and Anglicans are Catholic. Like, they're both of those things, right? Um, and what we mean by Catholic is means connected to the one universal historic church. We're not, we didn't make this up. The Holy Spirit didn't bring a new message to the church in the 1970s with the charismatic movement or something like that, right? Like, that, like we don't get to make up our faith. That's part of it. So, so the, you know, you need to have a personal conversion, yes, but conversion to what is the Catholic perspective? Conversion to what? There has to, you can't just be converted to anything. And the sole source of authority can't just be your own heart, what you feel, what you think. There's a faith. We're part of it. We receive it. We learn to live in it. It, all, it sometimes confronts our personal you know, bent, the things we like, things we don't like. Sometimes faith will confront those things. So, um, and we talked about this before, but the principle of the Reformation in England was a little different from the mainland Europe uh, Reformation. The, the mainland Europe Reformation seemed content to sort of separate from Rome and say, you know, fine. And you know, you could argue like that maybe Luther would have been horrified that there are now people called Lutherans. And Calvin would have been horrified that there's people called Calvinists. But the principle of the English Reformation was a little different, that they weren't trying to separate from Rome necessarily. They actually never excommunicated Rome at all. They just said, we want to return to the faith and order of the early undivided Catholic Church. So, you know, we're, that, that's what they were looking for. Um, so, and you, there's some of that story we don't need to get into, but, um, you know, the church was undivided until 1054. They called the Great Schism, where East and West, the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, but, but for a thousand years, <laughs> it was just one church. It was just, that was it. It was undivided. It was, you know, it was one church. So that's the Catholic perspective. Some key values for Catholics are tradition. There's unity in a way of life together. Right? We practice our faith together. These are the traditions that have been handed down. Uh, they tend to distrust individualism in the, in the spiritual life. You know, so if you have a wonderful experience with the Lord and he speaks some wonderful things to you, the more Catholic people will be like, eh, that, you know, maybe. <laughs> maybe, but did you come, did you come to church? Right? <laughs> did, are you saying the prayers? You know, like, like we have this way of life together and we, and we worship together. This is part of the tradition, you know, tradition that we're part of. Um, so we don't get to make this up. That's a value for, for the Catholic impulse. Um, 
And, uh, and this, honestly, this was part of my gateway drug into um, Anglicanism, was I started, I was a, you know, just a charismatic worship leader at a vineyard church, in vineyard-esque church. And I started just studying worship. I thought that'd be interesting to just know more about worship. Felt like it was a good thing for a worship pastor to do. Um, and I was blown away by how, like, the church has worshiped in the same pattern since its inception for 2,000 years. And I was, I was left confronted with this, like, okay, I can either assume that I know better because I can play acoustic guitar. <laughs> and I have these songs I wrote, you know? Or I can submit to this and say, maybe there was a reason they worshiped in the same way for 2,000 years, right? Maybe it wasn't because they were stupid or couldn't think of anything else to do, right? Then maybe there's a reason for it. So that was, for me, that was my move from the, you know, you know, the evangelical charismatic thing into the more Catholic and Orthodox. Thing. Like, maybe there's something here for me to learn or know. Uh, so tradition, sacraments is another value for the Catholic impulse. Um, unity in a means of grace. Um, sacraments are the official definition. I think something like this is in the Anglican Catechism. Uh, sacraments are, an, an, a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. And a sure and certain means of receiving that grace. So that's the, that's the additional part that was new for me. It's the outward sign of an invisible grace. That made sense to me. But learning that that was actually also a means of grace. The grace was actually communicated to me in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the wine. Not, it's not just for me. It's not just a cognitive, like, I'm going to remember Jesus while I do this. And I could give or take the bread or wine. No, it's actually something happening. Like, and that's, that's because, we'll talk more about this next, or in a couple weeks. But that's, that's, that's because we have an incarnational faith, which means God works in and through creation, not in opposition to creation. In and through it, not in opposition to it. So that's a Catholic instinct, sacraments, uh, a really big, important part of what it means to be a Catholic Christian, is that I receive grace when I come to this table. And so for me, this has been a, a transition for me as well. Where I, like when I went on vacation, I didn't used to do anything for church because I was like, well, I'm on vacation and it's kind of a hassle to go find some place to go, that kind of thing. I almost always seek out a church now. I find an Anglican church if I can. Uh, if not, I find some place that's going to give me communion because this has become really, really important to me. I, like, it's Sunday. I need the Eucharist. I've got to find it somewhere, right? So, so anyway, that's the Catholic uh, it's the Catholic understanding. I suppose as a priest, I could just serve myself. <laughs> but I want to do it with everybody, right? I want to do it. So there's a sense of, it's not just an individual thing. So the Catholic instinct is, I want to do this with the church, not just with me. So. <laughs> not incarnational enough. <laughs> yeah, no. Not incarnational enough. Yep. Online is not incarnation. Anyway, so, and, and this, this has been part of my journey. Like, to be honest, and no offense to anybody who has preached here at the table or will preach here at the table, but I could give or take most sermons. I could take them or leave them. Honestly, even my own. I'm like, eh, this is okay, you know, whatever. I could take or leave most sermons, right? I'm just not that concerned about it. I mean, it, it's important to hear good news proclaimed. But for me, the real deal is at the table. Because every time we come to the table... We, we proclaim good news. So it takes the pressure off me as a preacher to know, I could screw this up and we'll still have church. 
Like, it'll still be okay. This isn't about my amazing oratory skills. This is, I'm just trying to proclaim some good news here. And thank goodness that I know everybody's going to receive grace at the table. You know? So it's a sure and certain means. It's really, you know, good news for me. Right? I don't have to have a profound thought. I don't have to come up with a great sermon to experience God and to know him. I just come to the table. I just open my hands and I eat the bread. I can do that. I can do that no matter what state my soul is in. I can do that every Sunday. Anyway, so, yeah, Nancy. That's the beauty of the Anglican liturgy for me, is that it's scripture-driven liturgy. So you've got scripture, 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 full of scripture. Yes. And then, of course, the Eucharist liturgy is also scripture. all scripture, scripture. yeah. yeah. And then we have the particular... Yes. So it's that, like you say, we've got the message, we've got the good news. Yes. All the way through the liturgy. Yeah. Yeah. Even if we didn't have a sermon. Even if we didn't. Yeah. Even if we didn't have a sermon, we would have read scripture, and the whole liturgy is full of scripture. Yeah, that's really good. You know, the center of evangelicalism, the pinnacle, yeah. is the pastor. Yeah. Yeah. Is the message. Right, the, the sermon. Not the Eucharist. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It puts a tremendous amount of pressure on pastors to kind of kill it every week. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a really interesting book that I recently read by Gordon Smith, I think, called Evangelical Pentecostal. Uh, Ever uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? It was evangelical, Pentecostal, sacrament. 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 Yeah. It's like why the church should be open. But he does a really interesting <coughs> analysis of like the worship spaces of the churches. Yes. And how like a charismatic church, well, specifically how like uh, more Catholic or Anglican churches have the altar at the center mm-hmm. of the service, and how that represents like that's the center. Whereas the evangelical yes. churches have a pulpit at the center. Yes. And charismatic churches have no center. Right, <laughs> like they drag a pulpit up to the yes, center yes. because for them it's like the spirit, you know, and, and how like that neither is one is necessarily the way. Yeah, right. And yeah. You know, his point throughout the whole book, like all these impulses are good. Yes, but we need to like not be extreme. But I, I found that really interesting when I read it. It's yes, like, you know, yeah. Just, what do like, our worship how spaces? How our worship spaces communicate what we really are like care about? Yes. Yeah. 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 We're uh, we try to be fair. Like even when we were setting up in the food pantry. Right? We tried to orient our worship around the table, even though it was a little folding table. You know what I mean? Like, we, we do what we need you know, to do. But, um, but yeah, it's oriented around the table. It's good. Ben, have you, there's a book. Um, actually, I have it on my bookshelf. I haven't read it yet. But <laughs> Evangelical is Not Enough. Do you know that? Yeah. Who wrote that? Do you know? Uh, okay. Anyway, yeah. I mean, it was recommended to me as I was in the Anglican Church up in the Okay. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That's sort of on that again on that journey. I think that. Yeah. 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 Know, to, I think it's that centering that. You know, yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Evangelical is not enough. Anyway. Evangelical is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's 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 why we live in this tension, right? Like this doesn't actually form me, and that's a big part of my story as well. Is realizing the way I'm expressing my faith and and leading others into it, it isn't forming us in all the ways that I hoped it would, you know. And so there's a there's a wider thing to to start embracing. Um, so yeah, tradition, sacraments, uh, two other values for the Catholic impulse. Belonging, there's unity and community. So there's a strong sense of like communal identity that's expressed in baptism, for example. Like the Catholic impulse is that you belong before you believe, right? So we baptized you know, two of these, two of these little kids uh, here, Iggy and Remy. Um, do they have any faith, personal faith? Well, not yet, but their parents do, right? So we baptize on the basis of the parents' faith. But then now they belong. They're part of the covenant, right? And we raise them as Christians. We raise them and pray for them that they will become 
those who embrace the faith for themselves. Does that make sense? That's a Catholic value, belonging. And then authority. Authority is the other one where um, that's part of the we, the Catholic impulse. Authority means, uh, and authority is expressed in being under a bishop. So bishops are a big part of the Catholic uh, impulse. Um, bishops are essentially are the spiritual inheritors uh, of their office through apostolic teaching and apostolic succession. The laying on of hands going back to Christ and the apostles. Um, and you see references to this. I mean, I used to think, I may have said this last time, but I used to think like the early, hey, we got to get back to the days of the early church. And I thought that meant that we all hung out in living rooms and sang songs with our acoustic guitars. Like, that was the early church. It was just this super organic, yes. like, just, you know, whatever. I was so surprised to see that, like, bishops and authority, like, all of that stuff is established very, very early in church history. Very early. Like the 12 disciples. What's that? Like the 12 disciples. Like the 12 disciples. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because there, were there weren't just 12 of them, right? I mean, Jesus had, at any given moment, probably hundreds of people following him around. But he took 12 and appointed them apostles. And so that, that, the inheritance of that role became what we call bishops after the apostles died. So we don't say apostle. It used to be apostle, and then there were bishop priests and deacons. But now we've got bishops, priests, and deacons. Um, and so this goes back all the way to Christ and the apostles. Bishops, like in the ordination of a bishop, they're, they're commissioned to preach the word, uh, to guard the faith and to exercise discipline. Like they're, they're, there's a unity that bishops express in, of the church, that bishops are in charge of helping the people under their charge to express. And that's what I'm, I'm ordained into. I'm not a bishop, I'm a priest, but I've been ordained by a bishop to do the same thing, sort of in one sense, in his name, here in, here in Indianapolis. Does that make sense? So the authority of Christ being expressed in bishops, this bugs us as Americans, doesn't it? A little bit? Are some of you guys bugged a little bit right now? You're like, yeah. Well, we're we Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I didn't vote for him, right? But um, anyway, it, so it, bo it bothers us, you know? And there's some, you know, there have been abuses, obviously. You know, some bishops, I've heard some stories, you know, about current day bishops that I'm like appalled at appalled at the manipulative, controlling, insecure, narcissistic behavior. And yet, they're bishops. So there's a level of, I don't, I don't need to do everything they say, but, but there's a respect there because they've been ordained you know, into, into, a, into an office. Wait, but there's also accountability to that. What's that? Wait, you don't need to do everything they say? No. Huh? No. I mean, our whole province, guys, was people coming out from under bishops that they, they didn't think were fulfilling their, their calling. You know? We just say, hey, we, we have to, we can't, I can't in good conscience do this. Right? And that, that's the expression of Anglicanism that I think I appreciate, is that scripture does always trump. Like a bishop can't come in here and just tell us to do something that's unscriptural. Right? If, I, if, I, if, it's, if it's unscriptural, I have to say, well, I, you're not my ultimate authority. I respect you, Bishop, but you're not my ultimate authority. But, but that's, that's part of the Catholic instinct, is unity in the church expressed, expressed in bishops, going back to Christ and the apostles. Does that make sense? Any questions, thoughts on this tension here, this evangelical Catholic tension? Some good, any kairoses? Yeah. Uh, I think... Uh... 
couple different thoughts, but I, I really, like part of the appeal or draw to me is like accountability has baggage, that, that word has baggage, but like the accountability, the structure can bear more weight than just individual relationships. And yes. coming out of my tradition, it's more just like, okay, we disagree, so we're done. We're done here. Just right. very quickly. Yeah. Uh, whereas now if there's disagreements or if there's an issue or if somebody else is, becomes our bishop in however long and they're maybe you know, trying to, to edge towards this line or whatever, it's not like we just wash our hands of it and we're out of a relationship. Like there's a structure that can bear weight yes. as we try to discern what to do, Yeah. Uh, which I'm really thankful for. Hmm. And then, so like this tension, and there's a couple others on, on the compass that I feel this way about, is where I have, like, I give more mental assent to being in the middle than I feel like in my bones. Yeah. It to be. Uh, hmm. I would, like, I think it's very good for us to be in the middle of that me versus we. Um, but when it, when push comes to shove, a lot of times I find myself like, oh, yeah, my, my roots are really on this me side. And like, yeah. I'm trying to. Feel like God is pulling me towards it, but it's you know, yeah, it's not just gonna be like boom. I got, I'm, I'm you know, I'm balancing good. this. Yeah, I feel the same way about uh, activism and contemplative. Yeah, like I'm on the same. Like I believe it. Right. Yeah. I don't. My you, bones aren't used to yeah. that out. You notice a different instinct, mm -hmm. even though like mentally you'd be like, yeah, I want to be there, mm -hmm. but but yeah, there's a different instinct inside. That's good. Yeah, I have the same. I have the same tension. You know, I mean, officially, I mean, it used to be that it was set up at the diocese, like if we ever bought land or bought a building, like our diocese would own the land, like the province would own the land. And there were a lot of, you know, a lot of lawsuits that came out of this because the people that worshiped at the church were like, well, this is our church. And the diocese that they were leaving said, no, it's our church. It's our church building, right? So there were some fights over this. And so, actually, the way that our province is organized, that there was, there was such uh, trauma, really, like by sort of having, this, having their buildings and all this stuff taken away from them, or having to go through a lawsuit to keep it and all that kind of stuff, that there is, like our, like, you know, if our bishop, we, if we decided to, we could just leave, right? There's nobody who's, like, technically got any legal authority uh, to tell us what to do. So there's this kind of, there's an interesting kind of balance there, I guess. There's a voluntary submission mm -hmm. uh, to a bishop, but and and part of that for us is trusting this bishop's character, right? So we we've we didn't just go with any old bishop, right? There's a sense in which there's kind of this new uh, anyway. This is a long kind of nerdy history there, but it used to be it used to be just geographic. The bishops were geographic, right? So this is your region, right? Because and that they inherited that from Rome. Everybody, every bishop is located in a diocese. Um, but there's more, there's more, uh, there's something now um, emerging that's more missionary bishops where um, you can sort of voluntarily submit to a bishop who, you know, for, in our case, lives in California, um, doesn't live around here, which presents some problems. But because we trust his character uh, and his leadership so much, it actually has become a, it's a huge blessing for us to have the bishop we have. So... Uh, it's good, guys. These are great. These are great comments. Carmen said she would nerd out with you. Yeah. I'm just like loving it. You were loving the nerd out. I love this. Yeah. Good. All right. That's good to know. I've got a nerd friend. I always feel insecure when I like when I have a bit of like 
knowledge that I feel like is esoteric and nobody's really interested in hearing it. But I really like talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'll just call, I'll just text you. I won't, I won't like talk back about it. I'll just totally absorb it. <laughs> good. That's good to know. Now I, now I know how to interpret your silence. Yes. <laughs> that um, all this spells tension. Yeah. I feel the tension. Yeah. That's birthed out of conflict. Yes. All of it. Yes. Every single piece of that thing came from people splitting. Yeah. Um, yes. I feel when I'm like, oh, that, I feel that Kairos. Oh, gosh, I remember that. Yeah. Oh, I felt that. <laughs> and I'm just like, feel the swirling of it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, that is just risk. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at like just a lot of young faces here. I'm like, Good, they're really like, yeah! <laughs> like, okay, will this work? <laughs> no, I believe it. I do, I do believe it. But yeah. at the same time... But you've got some scars. Yeah, yeah. 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 And I, um, the truth is, I do believe that tension. I do, yes. I believe, because um, I've been in each one of those, I've lived in each one of these quadrants. Yeah. At one time in my life. Yeah. And know that the only hope is somehow the middle. Yes. Yes. It's it's the only because if there's no middle, there's no relationship. Right. And there's then there's just yeah. we're back in the world. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The, the, the there is a relentless drive to to separate these things out in order to relieve the tension. Yeah. We're desperately trying to relieve the tension. And so we're there's even, you know, within our own Anglican movement, there are some who would like nothing more than to separate from you know, all the liberals or, or whatever. Like, they, they would just want to be done with them. And so there's a movement to sort of separate in the interest of purity of doctrine. Um, but our, I think the, the better Anglican instinct and what we're trying to do at the table is say, you know what? There's blessedness in the tension and we want to bear it. We want to learn how to bear it. We want to learn how to walk in it. Not just for the sake of having conflict or having tension, but for the sake of saying, I think the presence of Jesus can handle it. You know, and the, and there's a there's a beauty and a blessedness in us staying related and hearing each other out and talking and listening. That's another one of our practices is listening, like really hearing each other is really really important to us. Yeah, that's good. Quick question. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I can say it very clearly, but uh, so how would you say the church, the Anglican Church, the table here can can bear this, this tension and be in the middle? Or how would we discern to do that as, like over time, culture and church shifts? So yeah. I think that somebody could, a, a non-nuanced view of this is to say like, as, as things shift this way, you still find the middle, but in reality, the middle is no longer what yeah. the middle is today, right? Yeah. Like on a political view spectrum, like the middle in the 1950s is not the middle. Right, yeah. So how do yeah. you, what, how, I don't know, can you talk about that? Yeah, <laughs> I think I I'll give it a try. Um, I think part I think part of it is part of what keeps us rooted. I think in something that uh, perhaps transcends time is is the Catholic and the Orthodox and the conservative instinct to basically say like like we're not measuring these things according to what's ha what's happening today. Like we have the Scripture, right? We have, the, we, we have uh, the doctrines of the early church. We have the Trinity. You know, there, there's things that we can hold on to that we know we, like, 
We know this is a core part of what it means to be a Christian. We believe in the incarnation. We believe in the Trinity. Like that's, you know, once you say there's, there's, there's only one God and there's not three persons, it's like, okay, well, you've, like, we can talk about that. It might be an interesting philosophical debate, but you're not a Christian anymore. Like, because you're not, a, like, this is what Christians affirm, right? Or, like, you're thinking about leaving something. So there's this, there's these boundaries. And I, I think that the historic side of it is what helps keeps us, keep us grounded in, in some of those things. So especially the Orthodox and the Catholic part of it, where we can go back and say, this is what, you know, the Council of 325 said, you know, Nicaea. And we can, and th this is part of why, um, this is part of why we, why we do creeds, right, in our worship, is that we are, we are connecting ourselves to the ancient church and saying that no matter what's happening today, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. So, does that help? The other thing I'd say is that I don't see our goal as like, let's get right in the middle, right? I, like, I'm willing for somebody to be way more evangelical, you know, and other people to be way more Catholic. I'm willing for that to be the case. I, I feel that tension, you know, all the time, like in our leadership meetings and, you know, with closest friends. You know, I feel that tension of like, you know, I think I would have my preferences of how we do worship, but I'm a part of a community, so we, we discern it together, you know, and other people have different instincts. So it's not necessarily like, hey, let's all get into the middle, necessarily. It's let's paint a big enough picture that we realize we can, we can belong together. Like, we can, we can belong together. This is all part of what it means for us to be a community together, for us to be Anglicans together. Does that make sense? Yeah. It seems like each of them, it's like a checks and balances kind of thing. Like, if yes. this one is true, then this one kind of balances it out. Like, when I, I know this is ridiculous, when I look at that symbol, like, I visualize it, like, tilted up. Like, one of those rides at the fair where people are around. Like, <laughs> yeah. The way it's distributed so that it works. Yeah. <laughs> So it's, it's like moving around. Yeah. Yeah, and there's te tension in the... It's pulling it down so that the top stays level. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Well, I think that's true, that the balance there, even within people, because if you have a church full of all activists and nobody's uh, contemplative, yeah. or, or we're not drawing each other to be yes. contemplative and to learn yes. to pray deeply and whatever, then, yes. then it's, uh, it's unbalanced. Yes. Very much so. Yeah, very much so. And if the and, and part of it is like realizing the activist like man, if I'm an activist, I have a lot to learn from the contemplative. And the contemplative has a lot to learn from the activist, right? So it's like <coughs> submitting to one another, right? So mutual submission, communal discernment, that's a big part of what we're what we're about here. And this is a, a picture of it. I love your I love your picture, Mallory, of uh, of kind of turning it like that. <coughs> Mallory's a prophet, so she always gets those pictures like that. <laughs> I think that's kind of, I was just going to jump in. I think that's kind of a challenge of our time because I think the cultural instinct is like, oh, you don't believe what I believe politically, or you don't believe what I believe theologically, yeah. or whatever. Well, then, you know, like you were saying, we're done we're here. Done, right? Yeah, yeah. And just say, like, no, not everyone's an eye and not everyone's a hand, like Paul yes. says, is a lot harder because then you're like, I have to commit to this person that I don't want to. Like, I don't like them. But I think, like, I know I found myself with, like, friends who they wouldn't be friends with each other because mm -hmm. they're, like, so different, but yeah. somehow, like, I've found ways to connect in that, like, how that enriches your life and opens you up is, 
it's worth it, but it's yes. really hard. I mean, it it's is like hard. the conflict. It's not easy, though. Yes. And yeah. that's where we, like, we need Christ yes. in that mm-hmm. because we can't do it. Right. Yeah, we can't do it. It's a, it's a fleshly instinct to separate, you know, to, to avoid the tension. But it's an act of faith, I think, to, to bear the tension, to live in it and say, okay, I, like, I don't... And, th- and this is a big part of what we learn to do, like, in DNA groups as well, is, like, we own our own kairos in the midst of it. The temptation is always to think, okay, if I'm having a conflict with Sean, the temptation is for me to think, Sean's an idiot. That's why we're having this conflict, right? <laughs> or he's wrong, or he's, you know... I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's humble enough to, to own, you know, that, that can happen. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, my temptation is to think, well, this wouldn't be happening if Sean would just behave differently, right? But what we're learning to do is say, no, okay, there's a, there's a reason this bothers me. And that's what I pay attention to. And that's what I submit to Sean. I say, Sean, when this happens or when you do this, I have to confess, I'm re- I really get agitated and it really bothers me and I don't know why. Could you help me? Could you help me understand what's happening here? Why are you doing this? You know? Does that make sense? Yeah. Hugely different posture, right? One assumes I've got objective perception about Sean. I know why he's doing that. It's because he's an idiot, right? Or whatever. Like, I know why he's doing it, and I see what's happening. The other one admits, you know what? I don't have objective perception. I'm seeing from a perspective. And the most important thing for me to do right now is own my perspective as my perspective, to just report my experience. This is what happens to me when you say that. I don't know why. Can we talk about it? Yeah, that's the posture. We'll talk more about that as we get into our vision and practices uh, as well. And we'll talk more <clears throat> next week. Um, we'll talk about like, how this does play out in some of these cultural kind of hot button issues. You know? We'll talk about gender and sexuality. We'll talk about racism. We'll talk about um, nonviolence. Uh, we'll talk about a lot of that stuff next week, kind of in very specific detail. Like, how does, how does this inform how we approach those things, right? Because the, the standard binary way of approaching it is, you know, let's talk, think about sexuality. There's conservative and there's liberal. Conservative, if we're going to separate them out and create a binary, is that's wrong, stop it. Right? <laughs> Furthermore, that might be the worst thing, that might be the worst sin you could ever commit. Heard that. Or, I think the liberal version of it is just as unlivable, which is whatever. You know? Whatever you want, it's fine. There's no discernment in any of those. There's no discernment of saying, like, what's. What's God doing in your life through this? What's happening? And then how do we, how do we take a step together as a community of faith? Like that's the posture we want to inhabit. Wait. <laughs> Sean's looking forward to those tensions. <laughs> but that, that's a big part. You got here next week. Bite your friend. <laughs> I am looking forward to it. I am too. But part of, you guys see how that's like, that binary that we seem stuck in is a way of relieving tension. Right? It's a way of relieving tension. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm down here, I can just think, those, those people are just horrible bigots. And I don't need to associate with them. If I'm up here, I can just think, those people are terrible sinners, and they're far from God, and I don't need to have anything to do with them. 
right? There's a different instinct we're trying to have. Um, okay, I mean, we could we could talk about. I think you guys understand kind of these instincts. You know, the charismatic instinct is intimacy with Christ. It's supernatural power. It's that's why we're going to have a healing ministry on Sunday mornings, right? Because we believe in all that stuff. Um, amen. Mystical, mystical experience, right? New Testament is full of mystical experiences. Um, all kinds of crazy things that happen in the Old and New Testament. Right? We believe in all that stuff. And it's all sacramental and incarnational too, by the way. Right? They lay on hands and the Holy Spirit comes. They speak in tongues, right? Peter has a vision on a roof. that, like, A vision leads him into this whole new thing of accepting the Gentiles without becoming Jews. That was a trance. It was a trance, trance. right, yeah. So it's just mis- Yeah, yeah. Can you imagine trying to explain that, you know, to your, to your board? The vision of the trance. Yeah. Well, I had a trance. That's, that's, yeah. No, I hadn't eaten yet, so maybe it was just I was hungry. No, but yeah, all that stuff. Or like Elijah's bones, like causing people to be raised from the dead. Or Paul's handkerchiefs, causing people to have healing. If we're sacramental and incarnational, that shouldn't bother us at all. God's power is carried through creation. People touch the hem of Jesus' robe and we're healed. Weird. Um, But also we're orthodox, so we believe in historic theology. Um, You know, the authority of Christ, the sanctity of worship. Um, This is part of, you guys may see, uh, maybe teach on it sometimes, but icons. Sometimes we use icons in our worship. Um, they're windows into heaven. That's what they're meant to be. Um, windows into seeing something, uh, seeing something of, uh, of of heaven. So anyway, there's a lot we could talk about, but uh, we're about out of time, and it's raining really hard. So I feel I find myself talking really loudly. Yes. Yes. It's good. Yeah. And, and that's, that's Jesus. Yeah. That's good. Yes. Yeah. That's good. For the sake of the recording, just to make sure that others can hear it, but you said the center is love and humility. And humility. Yeah. Learning to live that out. I think that's really beautiful. It's a really good way to end it. That's where, that's where it's all rooted, you know is in learning to let the love of Christ inhabit us so we can be with and bless one another. Amen? Amen. All right. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Oh, yes, Brian, go ahead. Well, I can definitely pray for you talking about that, kids. Yes. Why don't, you, why don't you say it real quick now, and then we'll pray. Uh, 